Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solitude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. And welcome to the Two Salties Podcast. I'm Dwayne Rollins. Kevin Laramay, he joins me in Montreal. Kevin, how are you today? Glorious King has arrived in Montreal, Dwayne. What a show. What a weekend. What a game. What a debut in quotation. Yeah, you're talking about Drogba, I believe. Oh, of course. Uh, well, d- yeah. Yeah, he had a hat trick, a uh, goal off of a his right left. A perfect hat trick. Yes, I'm, I never realized that was a thing until I heard it 60 times. But now, yes, he scored off his right, his left, and his head. So apparently that is a perfect hat trick. At any rate, obviously a very nice. It wasn't his debut, I, I'd like to point out. It was his debut as a starter. But yes. nonetheless, uh, he, he did get three goals against the Chicago Fire. A lot of people are anointing him the greatest MLS player that ever walked the earth, I guess. Maybe. After maybe, one game and a half. Maybe he is. Uh, we'll find out. Kevin and I are going to debate what Drogba walking in at 37 years of age and getting a hat trick in Major League Soccer means about the quality of Major League Soccer. Uh, maybe it means nothing, and it could. I'll, I'll suggest that. Maybe it means that it's not quite to the level that we think it is, and I think that you can add Javanko and, and you know coming from a backup position at Uve and a brilliant club. I mean, we're talking about Chelsea. We're talking about Uve. We're talking about the very top of the top here, and these are guys that were backups there, walking in and being dominant in MLS, and what does that say about the overall level of the lead? We'll have a little conversation about that. We're obviously going to talk about Canada's, talk about glory. I thought you were talking about the Canadian national team off the top there, Kevin. <laughs> could have been, could have been. Hey, we are... Uh... 90 minutes away from moving to the fourth round of qualification. And it's so far, it's all all nice. There's no dark cloud above Canada. So, so far, it's all good. Yeah, 3-0 win over Belize in the first leg of the home-and-home home qualifying tie. Uh, you know, it could be worse. We could be Jamaica. Jamaica is on the verge of being eliminated. They uh, lost 3-2 at home uh, in their first round matchup against Nicaragua, which we talked about leading into the draw was the one team candidate didn't want to draw from that group, and it turns out that we were right. That was the team we did not want to draw, and we did not. So there you go. Jamaica's in a lot of trouble tonight, but uh, they may be able to turn that around since they've, they've been woken up for sure. It shows uh, the difference between... Between the Gold Cup and the actual World Cup qualifiers, too, uh, the, the type of teams that uh, countries do put forward in the World Cup qualifiers, teams that are not necessarily that competitive in the Gold Cup are putting their A team forward, and you see those type of results. Yeah, look, we don't want to get too far into the conversation in, in the opening bit, but uh, but we've talked about this in the past. I've talked about this in the past anyway. That it's not the Canadian Gold Cup team; it's the Canadian World Cup team that's taking place. That's something that Holgorozik said back in the day after they won the Gold Cup in 2000. I, I believe that, and and winning in the Gold Cup, doing well in the Gold Cup as Jamaica did, is not any indication that you're going to do anything in World Cup qualifying. And it's certainly not an indication on the other way too. Is the point I'm getting to that when you do crappy at the Gold Cup, doesn't mean that oh everything's doom and gloom done. It doesn't mean it's not doom and gloom done, but it's not for sure. There's no comparison. There's no analogy is what I'm trying to get at. It's just a tournament that stands alone by itself and is, you know, valuable and not valuable all in its own, in its own accord. At any rate, uh, we're going to also briefly touch on the, uh, you know, the great mess in the MLS versus NASL division one gate thing. We'll talk a bit about that and what it might mean for Canada. I don't know. It's a bit of a stretch what the Canadian league, how that might fit in. We'll have a bit of a conversation about 
all that stuff. And if you're a follower of uh, MLS podcasts or, or American or North American podcasts, you'll you'll be familiar with that. But if not, we'll give you a brief uh, update on what that is exactly. Canadian Review will wrap it up. Before we do all of that, we have John Eden on from Canucks Abroad. This is going to be a bit of a regular uh, guest that we're going to have throughout this season. We're going to, I think, look to have him on during the international breaks to track how Canadians are doing outside of the leagues that Kevin and I cover regularly. I think that that's a valuable service that he does uh, that he can add to this podcast, and we will bring him on to talk about that, and we, we did that today. He's also a Fury fan, so we have a question about the Fury at the end, um, and don't worry, we have the Fury interview coming up. We're still working that out etc 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 he asked us about it so we figured we'll tell you off the top um kevin uh, that's a lot of an intro uh just one last quick thing before we break and bring john on uh the voyagers and and toronto supporters crowd uh there's a, a fellow involved that lost his father last week chris dempsey is a fan or friend of mine i should say i wanted to just give our thoughts as a podcast out to them this is a guy that goes to every canada game that's traveled to watch canada uh that has is a big tfc fan huge in the supporters uh culture in in toronto if you're in the supporters culture in toronto you know chris so he lost his father last week so we just wanted to give our thoughts to him before we moved on all right let's move on and bring john on And welcome back to the Two Solitudes. I'm Dwayne Rollins with Kevin Laramay. John Eden from Ottawa joins us. John runs a site uh, called Canucks Abroad, which is exactly what it sounds like. He tracks Canadians that play outside of Canada. Uh, he does track the U.S. a little bit, but for the purposes of this, we're not going to touch on the Americans abroad or the Canadians that are in the United States, I should say, because Kevin and I do that in our day-to-day anyway. Uh, we're going to have John on this show maybe once every four or five weeks just to keep track of how Canadians are doing elsewhere. We figure it'll be a nice continuing segment that we can bring on. John's also a big Fury guy. He's part of the Ours of the Fury podcast, uh, so we may ask him a couple Ottawa Fury questions and uh, how that team is doing right now uh, after we get done with Canucks Abroad. John, that was a long intro. It won't be that long again. How are you today? Oh, I'm really good. Uh, I'm enjoying that football's back in Europe, that the national team break is almost over, and you know my favorite league, the Bundesliga, will come back on this weekend. Yeah, John is German. We should, or German-Canadian, we'll say, so uh, <laughs> we, we should get that <laughs> I out. I throw that in there. Yes, exactly. All right, uh, let's start with the guy that most Canadians are interested in, and that's the Daniel Henry situation. Um, that's not me being Toronto-centric. I think that that is a key player of the Canadian national team moving forward. And John asked me to ask for him first, so there we go. Tell me about Daniel, John. Okay, so Daniel Henry is important for two reasons. Um, one, because he's really the only Canadian remaining in one of Europe's top leagues. So if you look at the Bundesliga... If you look at uh, Serie A or La Liga, nobody's left, okay? So it's not looking that great in general for Canadians abroad. They're not at the highest level, not as high as we've seen in the past. So Donnell Henry is part of the West Ham Premier League squad, so they announced 25 players that will be part of the Premier League squad for this season. However, he has yet to feature in any Premier League match, um, and he has yet to feature in the squad of 18 on match days. He did, however, play for 90 minutes in UEFA Europa League qualification against the Romanian club that no one's ever heard of. But unfortunately, West Ham ended up losing that match, so that probably didn't help his case. He is currently a little bit injured. He was in Canada, actually, during um, 
Canada's match against Belize, but apparently he's, he's almost uh, back to England and hopefully he'll be fit soon. I'm a little bit surprised that he wasn't loaned out. Uh, last year he was loaned out. Um, I was hoping that he would be maybe to a championship side or maybe even League One so he would get some playing time because I'm always someone that believes that playing is the most important. So the level isn't that important. It's like a lot of playing time is what, what's important for our national team. I think a lot of people would agree with you there. And the, and the one uh, question I would have with Danielle is whether uh, they look to they want to put him in their under twenty one program. Maybe what like why do you think that West Ham kept him if they're not looking to use him, or are they maybe going to use him in the League Cup and things like that? Um, you know, I I'm not a hundred percent sure what they see in Donnell Henry. I mean, he's a great player and he still has so much to learn. And they probably see his potential and they just wanted to keep him around and. Um, you know, they wouldn't have put him in the 25-man Premier League squad if they didn't see his potential. So I'm, I'm hoping that um, he'll get some playing time, you know, in either the, the uh, what's the cup called now? No, it's no longer called the Capital One Cup, is it? Go, go with the League Cup. That's what its, it's non-sponsor name is. <laughs> yeah, so um, maybe he'll get some playing time there, and he can certainly play with the U21, which he has already in the past. All right, one other quick player before I let Kevin jump in. Uh, Simeon Jackson had a bit of a unique situation. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Simeon Jackson uh, was pretty promising a couple of years ago. I mean, he went to the Bundesliga to Eintracht Braunschweig. Didn't really work out for him. Um, then he ended up playing in, like, third division English soccer, so League One. And he actually didn't join a team until the end of the transfer period. Um, so he was a free agent, which, by the way, you can still sign after the transfer uh, uh, window has closed. So he ended up joining Barnsley FC. But when you're signed as a free agent, it doesn't put you in a strong bargaining position. So he was just offered half a year contract. But still, it's, it's a good level. Barnsley plays in League One, where there's already uh, three other Canadians. Uh, this is kind of where, where most Canadians are at. And if they can get a lot of playing time, that's conducive to... Uh, them getting better and playing better for the Canadian national team. One player that we always keep an eye on in Montreal and Toronto especially is Issei Nakajima Ferran, INF, the artist. Uh, he has made a resurgence with the Canadian national team in the last couple of weeks. What can you tell us about Issei's travels to Malaysia? Yeah, I have to say from a personal point of view, he is one of my favorite players. I mean, I don't know if you guys know this about it, but he's an artist. He loves to paint, so he spent the summer in uh, in Spain, and he was playing a little bit of football, but he was also painting and enjoying life. And um, he's playing in Malaysia, in the uh, Malaysian Super League, and he actually won Best Player of August there, um, which is quite the accomplishment. He's also scored the most goals of any midfielder in that league. So he's highly respected there. The fans love him, so I, I don't think a lot of people actually know that about him. Um, how successful he is there in Malaysia. The, the season just ended. His team ended up in fourth place out of 12 teams. So that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, exciting player. Uh, I never really understood why he was treated the way that he was both in Toronto and in Montreal. I, I, it's a player I really like. I mean, he's, he's got a few defensive vulnerabilities, but he's got a lot going forward. And I think he showed that uh, in the game against the Leafs as well. No, absolutely. Uh, one other thing that I would like to tell you, you mentioned the, the, the players in England. How would you 
how would you explain to us how many people there is in England? How how good it is for Canadian? You mentioned League One. Is there any other player from Canada in England that is ma worth mentioning? Um, well, another player that plays higher than League One would be uh, Junior Oilet, but that's a little bit of a controversial subject, and you know, you always have to be careful uh, not to piss anybody off when you get into uh, <laughs> some of these players that might be eligible for another country. Um, there's currently, uh, let me see, um, about 17 players in England. Um, I tracked them all the way down to the, the youth level. So I've, I've, um, I've won in the Premier League, Daniel Henry, and then Junior Hollett in the Championship. And then there's about four players in League One, including David Edgar, Marcus Haber, uh, and then um, Simeon Jackson. One that's very interesting that's come up in discussions lately is a Swiss Canadian by the name of Jason Lloyd Willer. Um, he plays for Shrewsbury Town, and he's a goalkeeper. So that's a position that we're not particularly deep in in Canada, and he's really good. And he has a, he has a Swiss passport, but he also has a Canadian passport. And um, there was a blogger who's interviewed him, and he said that he's interested in playing for the national team. So this is the kind of stuff that excites us connects abroad <laughs> player trackers yeah the, the, sometimes it doesn't take much with those that track the canadians abroad uh canucks abroad again is that website Ca uh, john scotland has been lately a place where a lot of canadians have landed on their feet can you just uh, sort of round that league of that country i should say or nation i should say could you round that up for us yeah, sure, absolutely so one of the most exciting players currently playing in scotland is fraser Aird. Um, the little bit annoying thing with him is that he hasn't committed to either national team. And, you know, one day he'll say one thing in an interview, the next day he'll say the other. Um, he has played, uh, I think he's played U20 for Scotland, so he would have to make that uh, that switch that you can only do once to play for the Canadian national team. But a lot of fans still have a, um, a lot of hope for him. Um, and then another player that's very interesting in Scotland is Luca Gasparato who also plays for the Glasgow Rangers, but he's currently on loan to the Greenock Morton FC uh, in the same division. As you know, the Rangers play in second division Scotland uh, currently. And he's getting a lot of playing time, so that's good. And then there's also Dylan Carrero, um, who's a Winnipeg native, but uh, obviously has Portuguese roots. And he plays for Dundee FC, um, although he plays mostly for the U21 team, I believe. Uh, but yeah, Scotland's a good place for Canadians because the level isn't super high, but the stadiums are full and it's very professional. So that's always a place that uh, Canadians like to go to. You mentioned that you track down to the youth level and, and maybe uh, we'll ask this and then get you to sort of talk a little bit about what happened with Canadians. Germany used to be a good place for Canadians to land. And maybe I might get you to wrap up with telling me why they're not seeming to, to be as successful beyond maybe the obvious that they're maybe not good enough anymore. But uh, let's go back to my original question now. Um, the youth levels, there there does seem to be an increasing amount of, of, of players sort of hitting into that, the higher-end club on the youth level. Can you sort of just wrap them with some of the more interesting youth-level players that are out there right now? Yeah, I wish I could talk in more detail about the youth level. It's kind of hard to track those situations if you're not there locally. I, I try my best to, to find good information, but uh, it's not something I can talk uh, about a lot. Um, but, yeah, it's true that we see a bunch of Canadians at high-profile clubs at, at prominent teams. Like, a good example would be Samuel Piet, 
who uh, who played for Deportivo La Coruña last year, or Ben Fisk, who plays for Deportivo La Coruña this year. Um, these are high-profile teams, and we get excited because we think it's like they signed for the first team, but then they end up playing in in the third division in Spain, and and, and those divisions they they differ depending what group you are in. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a tendency for, for Canadians to end up at big clubs and then end up playing for the reserve team, the youth team. So, John, I, I, in my rambling question, I asked you about Germany, and uh, I think we both don't want to hear the answer to who the next Bundesliga player is. So why don't you just tell me who's going to be doing well in the lower German league for a while? Sure. So when I first got into this, there were a lot of Canadians in the first and second division, in the Bundesliga and second Bundesliga. I mean, there were people like... Rob Friend, there was uh, Olivier Ocean. Kevin, um, Kevin McKenna. Yeah, McKenna, who unfortunately retired. And then you, you had, if you go further back, Sal Terry and so on. So you had a lot of legends in the Canadian game. Uh, now you have to go a little bit further down. So third division is the top uh, for Canadians. It's kind of the ceiling right now. So you got Nicholas Ledgerwood, who kind of made a career out of uh, third division football, you know, he's playing almost every match for Enigy Cockbus. He's doing well. He's a he's a good player to have. He works hard. You know, you're never gonna get something special from him, but he's consistently great. Like consistently great, maybe not great, but okay. Um then you have Randy Advini Bonzu, who's an exciting player. Um he just joined Fowl Air Allen where Andre Hano played last year. Um he hasn't been any, getting any minutes um but hopefully he can um, get some more playing time. He's, his problem is he's defensively a little bit lacking. Like he's great going forward. He's fast. Uh, he likes to dribble and create things out of nothing. But he's, he's definitely a defensive vulnerability. And then we have Andre Henault, who just went to FC Magdeburg. That's an East German club with a lot of traditions, a great club. Um, and he's been playing a lot. So, um, and then you can go deeper and deeper. I don't want to bore your listeners with that. Uh, instead, I'd like to go into a few other talking points that I have about Canucks abroad because there are some success stories, so I don't want to be all gloomy. Um, I mean, what, the best. What are those success stories? Sure. Um, so, Atiba Hutchinson, for example, is still, without a doubt, the greatest Canadian playing soccer abroad. Uh, He's still a huge player for Besiktas. The fans love him. You know, he plays almost every match. And then you have smaller stories like uh, Tomac Jensinski, the goalkeeper. He played for a second division club in Israel last year. And now he went to uh, Rops in Finland and he plays really well there. And then you have Milan Borian, uh, Canadian national team goalkeeper, uh, who's slowly but surely uh, displacing Bulgaria's national team keeper, Vladislav Stoyanov. So, that's good to see. And then you have uh, someone like Kevin Aylman in Costa Rica who's starting to get games. Um, yeah, so, oh yeah, one big one. I would probably get killed if I don't mention him by the Canucks Abroad nerds. And that's Olivia Ocean, who's sort of uh, uh, experiencing uh, a late summer in his career, uh, firing on all cylinders for the team in Norway called Odds, uh, played against Borussia Dortmund in the Europa League qualifiers currently in fourth place in Norway and uh, fighting for another Europa League qualification spot. I think he's already scored 11 goals and he plays in pretty much every match. So that's someone to be excited about. 
there are some stories there and we will hopefully as the year goes on and we have John back to talk about how the Canadians are doing have more great stories I did want to just give my own personal uh, sort of uh, thing out here a bit you talked real briefly about going way back and Paul Stolteri playing in the Bundesliga how impressive was what Paul Stolteri did in the Bundesliga I don't think a lot of our listeners realize how, how much of a success he was there when he was at his peak Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's a legend. Him, Kevin McKenna, and Rob Friend are like the three musketeers of the Bundesliga. Uh, I mean, the, McKenna is called the, the Canadian Oak in Cologne. He's still there. Um, Rob Friend had one really great season for Borussia Mönchengladbach. And Paul Stolteri, he was a solid player. Like He was uh, basically a superstar in Germany. It, it was uh, largely unnoticed uh, for a large part in Canada, how, how successful he was. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely uh, up there with the big boys. I maintain that the, uh, that the double is, is the greatest accomplishment a Canadian athlete has, uh, has done on a team level without being noticed, if that makes sense. Yeah, this was at his time at, at Vera Brim, right? Yeah, exactly. He, he was part of the double-winning team there. there. Um, John, let's uh, move to your other, uh, your local uh, passion there, and that would be the Ottawa Fury. Uh, they're having a great season. Just in a general sense, uh, tell, us, tell us what you think uh, ha- has been the key to that club's turnaround this year. Yeah, so really what the team can do much better than any other team in the world, sorry, world, <laughs> I meant in the NASL, is uh, they have a really good collective spirit. So we're not relying on one individual players for our goals. Our goals come from everybody. And then we have a really good back line. So we started to develop that uh, towards the end of the spring season where we had like five zero zeros in a row. Well, one was a one zero, but the rest were all zero zeros. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden we started uh, being able to score goals as well. And I think... The players, they really like each other. They work really hard for each other. And it's that thing. Like, if you have a team that really works well together, you don't need uh, crazy good individual players. And they've stopped uh, having so much respect for the bigger teams like San Antonio, Minnesota, New York Cosmos. Like, And we've been uh, getting results against those teams this year. If you're looking at the calendar, John, Ottawa has having a... The fall calendar, the second part of the season, they're on fire. And one thing I'm wondering, is it because of the time off in the summer and they use basically the spring season as a long training camp to gel together and become a team, which led to success later on? What do you think about the calendar and should it stay that way? Well, it's a good theory, but I don't think it's it's really... Uh... And, you know, if you look at last year, 2014, we had a big break with the Men's World Cup, and then the Fury had a horrible start in the fall season and lost almost every game. So I'm not sure if it's just the calendar. I think it's just a matter of uh, bringing in better players that, uh, that Dos Santos carefully selected and just needing a little bit more time until everything gels perfectly. And sure, maybe uh, that that time off in the summer helped a little bit, but I don't think that's the only factor. John, are you going to be hosting a playoff game? Oh, I sincerely hope so, but uh, right now we're in the number two seed. Near Cosmos are still um, um, winning overall in the combined standings, but it would be great. But if if Ottawa makes the postseason, you got to be careful to say postseason and not playoff, okay? Um, I'm definitely going to travel wherever it's wherever we go 
Yeah, yeah. Kevin and I are well aware of the postseason playoff thing, and we, we tend to still screw it up every time. But it's fine. It's playoffs. <laughs> Something that happens after the season ends is, in fact, postseason and playoff. All right. Um, John, we'll have you back in a month or so uh, to talk about how the Canadians are doing. Uh, probably the next international break would be a good time. That's, that's just set that up now. Um, in the meantime, uh, tell us how to, how to read uh, Canucks Abroad. Sure. So for Twitter, we have a Twitter account. It's at Canucks underscore abroad. Uh, we also have a table uh, with all the different players' information that's currently hosted on rednationonline.ca. And if you go on the main page, there's a, like a little banner that says Canadian Player Pool. And this is up to date. It includes all domestic Canadians. It includes women abroad and Americans all over the world, including the United States. Uh, yeah, so check us out and spread the word. All right, and as we said, we'll have John on the next international break and try and make it a regular international break thing for this season. And, and we'll talk about the women, too, moving forward. That was an oversight today. I apologize for that. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, John. Thanks again to John for joining us. Before we get into the Canada v. Belize, Kevin has a bit of a technical update. Uh, for those that, that uh, follow us on iTunes and stuff like that, you'll know that there was a big dump last week of, of data. It's not really in our control, but Kevin will update you on that now. Absolutely. You remember a couple of months, a month and a half ago, there was a problem with the original feed. It eventually got fixed. Uh, it's our hosting company that's migrating to a brand new system. And in that migrating process, there's some kinks to be worked out and one of them was they reset all the shows that we actually did so they reposted every single one of them if you're an android user and you have a, a beyond pod downcast any type of those podcatchers applications you don't have that problem because you are the one deciding to get the shows and it doesn't automatically download if you have itunes and you just say auto download the latest episode because they were reposted it, even though the timetable is Further than a year ago, it's still stamped a year ago. They're considered a new episode, and the iTunes application downloaded them automatically. If you don't want it to happen for the next week while this is continuing to get resolved, just uh, check the case that says download either the latest or latest two or three episodes. So that way, it will not download all the ones. It will just download the ones that are time-stamped accordingly. So that way you will not have a big data dump or uh, troubles because of the download of the show. If you don't want that to happen, you can always subscribe to OTW Studios in the meantime where you get all the shows that we do here and you can choose to download the ones that you prefer or listen to all the shows that we produce about between 7 to 8 shows a week. 7 to 8. 7 to 10 shows a week. So if you like our shows, give us a like on iTunes as well. And the way those... Feeds are built is totally differently. So OTW Studios, I manage from 100%. So it's not going to do anything and it's not going to be uh, broken or links are not going to be broken forever. So to resolve that situation, subscribe there in the meantime so on iTunes, FeedBurner, anywhere. Otherwise, in about a week or so, it should be all resolved. 
Or you could just listen to 100 hours of Two Solitudes podcast, too. You could just listen to it all, all again, right? Exactly. You can always put your earbuds in your ears and listen to us 24 hours a day. So that way, we will be thinking for you. And you will be acting in your every single day lives as Canadian soccer things. So uh, it can just be a good lifestyle as well. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. It's not vanity. I do it for technical reasons. I re-listen to every show that I do. So I have listened to myself and oh, talk, talk to myself show. and listen to myself. Oh, wow. Did you listen to the first couple of shows? Well, yeah, way back when. I haven't listened to them in a long time. But yeah, oh, <laughs> certainly. The, the technical difference, the auto quality difference, ah, everything. Wow. It was a, it, it was a good journey that we're on. But uh, the, start, the start of a thousand step journey is always more iffy than the last one. Fair enough. All right. Um, Canada v. Belize. Uh, Kevin will have this podcast up probably about an hour and a half before the second leg gets going. So, but the time that you listen to this, unless you're a real diehard listener, uh, you're probably it's probably already done. But uh, we're still going to talk a little bit in generalities about the first leg and about a few things around the Canadian program. Um, if you do happen to get this at seven thirty and you're in the Toronto area, you can uh, you can join me at Scallywags, which is uh, you know if you don't know where Scallywags is, I'm not sure how you're listening to the show but if you don't know it's at young and st Clair, and that's where the voyagers uh viewing party is tonight i'm sure there's one uh, on in montreal as well in or anywhere in the country you go to the voyagers page uh which you can find through canadian soccer news and you can find those viewing parties if you happen to get this podcast in the next hour and a half uh they'll probably be where the next viewing parties are too so just you can learn about that stuff anyway and if you are in belize i would like to have pictures from the stands for our show's purposes send them our way at two solitude spot on twitter and there are there is a group in Belize for, for sure. I don't know how big it is that went down, but there was a group that did go down. Um, the first leg, Kevin, three nil. It kind of went according to plan. Uh, I would have liked to see a couple more goals in there, and they really kind of deserved a couple more goals based on the on the play. Uh, in many ways, I thought Dominica was maybe better. The first round was they were maybe more. They provided more opposition. Unless Belize is hiding the second coming of Cristiano Ronaldo somewhere in the forest down there, and they're gonna he's gonna jump out with a cape on in the second leg, there's no way Canada's losing tonight. What um, you make of the comment of the coach after the game saying it's gonna be a different story in Belize? Believe me. Well, he's gonna have to find new players. They were outshot twenty-five to nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the big difference. Yeah, it look. I, Canada struggles to put the ball in the net, even against a country like Belize. And they got the third goal quite late. And it was kind of good that they got the third goal quite late because I think it would be a much different sort of mindset heading into the second leg had they not got the 3-0 lead rather than the 2-0 lead heading in. But three goals, there's just, I don't know how a team that couldn't even manage a shot on goal uh, is going to suddenly keep the same level of tightness. And, you know, their keeper made a couple big saves too and open up enough so that they can suddenly score three goals when they didn't even get a shot. I don't care if they're having the game in, I don't know, in the middle of the ocean and their Canada's wearing rocks on their feet. Like, I don't care. I just can't see a way that they're, they're not they're There's just no way, Kevin, like there's none. These we're talking about amateur players here. Right. And we said that heading into this game. Like these are guys that are cops on the weekend. So that's, that's be honest here and, and move past that sort of stuff. But as we saw, uh, you know, Jamaica with the Nicaragua draw, they are struggling in that. We're not going to analyze that game because I didn't see it. One and two, 
this isn't Jamaican soccer news that we're talking about here, but nonetheless, you got to get past these hurdles, and and Canada did. Um, look, I, do you have anything you want to add about the game itself, Kevin? The one thing I'm wondering is if we put maybe too much pressure on the new great Canadian hope, Kyle Lauren. I'm wondering if that pressure gets to him. He was not necessarily the most involved player against Belize, which he was against Dominica. Ricketts has had a great performance, which he did against Dominica as well in the round prior round. Uh, but I would like to see Kyle Lauren not step it up more, but maybe take more of that leadership that this team might need as not just a guy with leadership, but with the skills that can back up that leadership. Something we haven't had in Canada in a long time. Yeah, certainly, I guess, yeah, that would be the one talking point that I would have taken from it is Kyle Lauren's play. He he didn't step up and, and make himself noticed. Exactly, uh, yeah. Which maybe is... is not ideal when you have that much possession. If you have a guy that has that kind of big body and that ability to score at MLS level, he's kind of been on a slump since the gold cup, even at the MLS level. So how much that has hurt his confidence and how much that confidence matters to his overall game is something that I think he's too young for us to completely know yet, but it certainly is a bit of a troubling hint, if not a sign that, that maybe he's going to be a confidence player. And when his confidence is down, he may struggle a little bit. Hopefully Kyle Lahren can, can get something tonight to start sort of shake it going and get another Canadian goal going and move past the big miss at the gold cup. Um, other than that, like I said, there was so much possession. A lot of it was down the wings. Belize was packing the middle, like intensely packing the middle all game. Um, I watched the game from the south end in the first half when Canada was attacking uh, north. I, we barely saw the game. It was, you know, 90, 100 yards away from us the entire game, literally. Um, there was no shots on goal. The possession was 76% for Canada. It was a dominant performance by them. You would have liked to see another goal, but three should be enough. Um, if Belize scores a goal tonight, I think that that would be a victory for them. <laughs> I, I would hope that Canada would be focused on on not allowing tonight and, and also just getting some goal scoring going forward. The, the draw in this round was kind to Canada. I, I think that they... Next round, it's not that easy. Yeah, it, no, and it was. And not to belabor this Jamaican thing, they could turn that result around, although I think all of us kind of hope they don't. Because <laughs> that would be... Hilarious. Taking another one out would be nice, but uh, every every player that gets out before the, before it matters is is one less hurdle you have to get over if you're ultimately going to make your ultimate goal of, of Russia. Not that Canada is maybe quite there yet, but yeah, you got to think that way anyway. You know, um, you never know. That's the thing. You you never know you're there until you're there. What I mean yeah. is, you never know you're going to qualify until you qualify. World Cup seen weirder stories in Canada qualifying for a World Cup in its history. Seen teams go on a run in the qualifying process that was never expected. Is Canada going to do that? Does Canada has that in itself to do that in the fourth round and then in the hex? We'll see. The, the, what's the composition of the next round uh, round robin group? I think it's Mexico. Yeah. Uh, El Salvador probably and uh, and Honduras. It's the game oh, down in Honduras. Go. It's the game in Honduras. They have to go back down. Redemption. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, we talked about that when the draw happened, that I think that that's a valuable thing. But more to the point, to go back to keep it to this round, um, I was happy with Canada's draw largely because they drew Belize in this round. And, and yes, you could look ahead and you can go, God, they got to play Honduras again, blah, 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 blah. They got Mexico in the group. There's a lot of problems there. It's going to be a challenge. There's no doubt. But to me, getting an easy touch in this round was more important than than having, you know, worrying about months down the line because Canada has to do it one hurdle at a time um kevin a couple other 
points from this game, I guess. Some people may uh, may not like the ticket sales situation. There was a little over 10,000 people that were there. Uh, look, Belize on a holiday weekend, I, I don't think there's anywhere in this country that would have done better than that. The next couple games aren't going to be in Toronto, so that if you live in those cities and you believe very strongly that you could draw more than Godspeed, you're going to have your chance. So let's see what happens. I don't think people understand how much work goes on at the ground at the ground level to get the supporter sections full. And hopefully um, people do understand that because we want loud and active supporter sections. And uh, without the, the effort on the ground level, then, then you know, it's not going to happen. So uh, hopefully those outside the area that it has been taking place. Yeah, fatigue, I think, played a role in the, in the ticket sales too. Like Canada's played a lot in Toronto in the last uh, five years. So, you know, maybe that's that's part of it as well. Well, we raise our glass to Jamie, as always, uh, doing that grassroots work to get that South End packed all the time. So Jamie and the Voyagers, uh, tip of the hat to you. Absolutely. Um, and Jamie's down in Belize tonight, for those that don't know. Um, the other point i guess we didn't really talk about the lineup because for some reason we didn't <laughs> we didn't talk about the lineup when it came out yeah Fatigue. canadian soccer show that forgot to talk about canada team yes it's yeah. us but uh mls uh, we're busy and uh it was in this the time frame it was like a between two shows so that's the reason why we actually didn't talk about it yeah and anyway uh jonathan osario uh, was left off the roster a lot of people have some issues with that uh, kyle becker was on the roster a lot of people have some issues with that i don't really want to talk a lot about the becker situation floral likes him i think that having him around is harmless um i don't think that it's a direct comparison it's not becker in osario out. that's not how it works with this i think that osario uh, was more valuable staying with TFC, uh, where he, he plays a valuable role there. Uh, and I think that that played a lot of it to do with it. And I, I think, that, you know, there is a bit of a question of what Floro doesn't see in Osario that a lot of us do. And, and that is a legitimate question about his lineup selection. And certainly when we look into the next round, you'll hope that Jonathan Osario is a part of this program because I think he does have a type of creativity in the midfield that a lot of players don't. But then again, he's competing against guys like Julian Guzman against, well, Julian Guzman is a six on this team. So he's not really directly competing with that, but he's competing against Tiba Hutchison. He's against, or competing against Will Johnson. And those are the guys that are above him in the pecking order. I think... Becker is there because they looked at the at the roster and believed that he was again as I said he made more sense to back up that role than Osario when Osario is going to sit there and get valuable minutes in MLS like that kind of back and forth takes place all the time that's my take on the Osario situation I don't know if you differ at all Kevin or what you thought about Flores lineup Oh, Becker, USL mainstay for FC Montreal now. And uh, I was kind of surprised to see him with the club. I was surprised to see Issey back in that fashion as well. Results speak for themselves. 3 nothing win, like you mentioned. It's not too shabby. Uh, but I was surprised in a couple of his choices, which brings me to a certain doubt that uh, has been raised over Floro's tenure in the last couple of weeks. And I'm not saying I have doubts about Floro. What I'm saying is I'm keeping an open mind going forward and I'm not maybe not as convinced as I thought I was a couple of months ago. I believe that we overvalue what managers bring to programs and overstate what they take away from programs. I, that's a consistent point on mine. I, I am never one to except for rare occasions. And there are occasions where I think it gets to that point. But uh, I generally don't think that firing managers and demanding managers heads is, is all that 
helpful. Uh, so, and I don't think they make a big difference. Yeah, maybe, maybe a new guy comes in and they doesn't he doesn't like some other player that you like, right? Like this, this kind of thing isn't unique to Canada or unique to Floral, but let's move on from that. No, All right, sorry. Kevin. In terms of tonight, uh, as I said, most people are going to listen to this after the fact. So there's not a much point. Well, there's not much point in talking about it anyway. Like I said, it, it's a game that Canada absolutely should should win and dominate. Um, predictions. By the time you hear this, we're going to be considered foolish or not. But I'll make one anyway. Canada wins tonight, two 0 Your thought? I'll I'll back you up on that. Two 0 tonight makes it five 0 in aggregate. A very very decent result for Canada, which makes the move to the round robin of the fourth round with momentum. So yeah, I agree with that. All right, let's take a really quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to break down a couple MLS uh, topics before we get into the Canadian review. And welcome back. We wanted to have a conversation based on Drogba's hat trick. First off, before we get going, I want to acknowledge that obviously Montreal Impact fans should be excited about this. They, they absolutely have every right to be excited about it. Uh, I'm not dismissing their excitement. I'm not in any way um, under underlying or undermining what it means to that team and that team's position in the league right now. We'll talk a bit about that more in the Canadian Review. But I did have a question about what it means to MLS's overall, overall level of quality when guys like him and guys like Javinko can step in from backup roles and dominate. Like, does that mean that the league is maybe not at the level that we we hope it is? I know one thing that there, if you listen to the Extra Time Radio, the Major League Soccer official podcast, they've been lately having this conversation where they've been asking guests where they think the LA Galaxy would finish in the Premier League. Now, my position on that is that the LA Galaxy would be easily relegated from the Premier League and that the depth would kill them in that. I don't know, Kevin, let's start with that question and then you know we'll sort of tie it into the Drogba hat trick by, by starting with that question. Do you think the LA Galaxy, am I wrong? Are the LA Galaxy like actually a team that could compete in that league? Uh, they would probably get relegated too, with the fact that there's a lot of competition, including that conversation. In England, you got the League Cup, FA Cup. Uh, if you're qualified for Europe or Champions League qualifying, Europa League qualifying, uh, a lot of games internally. And if you're bottom, bottom level, example, Championship or even League One, League Two, you still got the Johnson Paid Trophy, and all those are the competition. So, uh, a lot of games, you need, like you mentioned, a team needs a lot of depth and a depth of roster, which. No MLS team does have or can even have because of that salary cap and you can only spend so much on players. So uh, that being said, I do agree with you of the fact that maybe MLS is not at the same level as we perceive it to be because of pump and circumstance, because the league is well represented in its own media because the the league is well built nice stadium with good crowds uh, nice logos nice colors all the pageantry surrounding uh, this league is well done it does give an aura to this league that competitively on the level of the the, the actual soccer it might not be as high as we perceive it to be yeah certainly the bells and whistles are right there there's you know a lot of people call it marketing soccer league right like they're, but, uh, there's a... they're, they're really good honestly if there's one league in the world that's really good at marketing it's mls and not necessarily marketing but portraying your product and quote in a way that we perceive it to be higher than it is yeah 
And in many ways, it doesn't matter. It's a silly argument. It's the highest level that can be played here, although we'll have a conversation about that in a minute. Um, <laughs> the leagues do, don't, don't think the same thing. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's your highest level of local soccer. And I think that's what matters the most. And what I get sort of irritated by when people have these conversations is just accept it for what it is and don't try and make it more than it is. Don't try and undervalue what it is because a lot of people do that too. There's a lot of, you know, the quote unquote Euro snobs that yeah. will, you know, claim that MLS is the level of the conference or something like that, which is a load of bollocks. To use a, it's to, a lot to, of bollocks, my... but when you see Javinko and Drogba, it does give them some arguments, even though I don't agree with it. To be quickly, I think the Drogba case and Javinko, because we had a, a bigger sample with Javinko's play, I do think that those players are not necessarily special in a way, but their condition and their mindset coming into the league is different and it brings them to give good performances, even though Drogba's only one game good performances. Still, uh, what made Drogba's game good is not just the three goals, everything else he did right on that pitch on that night. Is it going to be the same all season long? No. Is the fact that he's old coming into the league saying something bad about the league? Maybe, but I do still feel that Drogba's like maybe a special case. And yes, I used the word bollocks purposely, ironically, <laughs> because I was talking about Eurosnobs at any rate. <laughs> um, look, I think that how I've explained it to reasonable people that have asked me from overseas is that MLS has three or four players on every team that could probably play in the in the Premier League. They have more players, probably seven or eight players that could play at the championship. And then they have three or four players that could play, would be playing at a lower level. And that's kind of a unique situation in, in leagues. You don't see leagues set up like that. It's almost like your beer league team, right? You know, like if I play beer league and we have a draft every year and the first round guys are guys that played soccer at a, at a pretty high level when they were younger. Right. And it's, they, it's like the softball league where everybody's got a letter. You got a B's and C's and you need five A's, five B's and five C's or whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. You have guys like on my beer league team that, that <laughs> are pretty decent players that even at the, you know, at an older age. And then you have guys that that never played competitively until they were adults and, and only play in these leagues. And that, I mean, that's an exaggeration. But like in a professional level, MLS is kind of like that, where you have guys that are different points in where the pyramid would fit in most countries in the world. But because Major League Soccer doesn't have a pyramid, which we will again talk about in a minute. <laughs> Um, it, uh, it it makes it sort of difficult to handicap where they sit. Now, yeah, well, one thing quickly, Dwayne, just because of that, though, one thing it does do great for this league is because there's such a disparity between almost the type of players in this league, the level of them, you see great things. When you watch a Jovenko play this year, don't tell me it's not one of the nicest things you've seen in soccer in the last decade. His dominance is uh, in North American soccer. I mean, is same thing for Drog, but that game is it changed Everything. It changed the level of everyone. We saw Montreal looked better than it ever had. And that's a drug boy effect. And it really showed me that, yes, it might be a big disparity between players, but it does make for great drama, for great fun to watch. And that cannot be overlooked. If you look at the England Premier League, which is maybe the most watched league in the world, it does have maybe that similar type of things where you got a lot of foreign players that are very highly skilled and these now England players some in the mid table which is a majority of the league still it does make for the same type of fun and drama on the pitch so uh, that's what maybe is the positive of that yeah I mean look I don't want to belabor this much longer than this and we did want to move into the MLS versus NESL sort of stuff that's going on which fits into it a little bit but again my point is is accept the league for what it is 
you can understand and appreciate and enjoy MLS while at the same time understanding that it has faults and that it has flaws and that it ha- it is not it's not an elite league yet. It isn't. It has it's a league that has some elite players in it. But it's just not an elite year, a league yet, and I think that that's fine. And I think a lot of people in this, this part of the world get obsessed with trying to place it on this hyper-speeded-up version uh, of, of itself to get to this best league in the world by 2022 crap that Garber talks about quicker than it can. And and I think that you know the Drogba situation, to me, does scream out that they're not quite there yet. And that's one question I promised myself that I will ask DJ Drogba at the end of the season. One of the last scrum I will take part of with DJ Drogba, I will ask him in his own opinion, is the idea of Major League Soccer one of the top four leagues in the world for 2022? Is it utopia? Is it a utopian idea? And I do believe his answer will be, they still have a long way to go. So I do promise, listeners, that is one question I do feel Didier Drogba needs to answer because he is in a rare position where he played in the Premiership very recently. Same thing as other leagues that could be compared to MLS if you're looking at Turkey and uh, those type of leagues. So uh, that's going to be a very interesting answer he's going to give me before the end of the season. All right. And for the record, TFC would definitely be relegated from the Premier League. <laughs> Same for Montreal. Yeah, and Vancouver, by the way. That's not talk silly here, folks. That's let's be honest. Anyway, uh, moving on. I want to talk about this NASL U or sorry NASL MLS stuff that's going on right now. It's it's more of an American issue. It has to do with the USSF, um, and they're changing the the way that they're qualifying Division One versus Division Two. There's different standards they're trying to bring in, which NASL is fighting against, and they're threatening to sue them in, in the antitrust courts. Uh, trying to put an antitrust lawsuit against them. The antitrust rules are there to ensure fair competition is a simple way to put it. Um, If you have any sort of legal understanding of of this, and look, I'm not a lawyer, Kevin's not a lawyer, but what I read about it and how I understand it, NASL actually has a point um, that by virtue of them having an arbitrary sort of declaration of what division one is and not having an open pyramid. And I don't want to get into that debate today, but not having pro rel, then therefore USSF and MLS are artificially restricting the ability of NASL to, to function and achieve what they believe they can achieve. It's a chicken egg argument. They believe that if they were afforded the opportunity to be division one, that they would then be able to, to be better, get better sponsorships, get better TV deals, get better everything. Do you think the fact that the MLS went to a partnership with the USL and almost corrected that flaw of not having a pyramid type of development openness to the league, eventually if everybody's got a two-team, there's sort of not an actual pyramid, but there's a direct link between USL and MLS eventually on the field. So uh, that can maybe be a result of knowledge of those litigation in this near future, if you're talking about the MLS and USL partnership that uh, was announced more than a year ago. Yeah, well, it's absolutely it's tied in because the USL and NASL had a war a few years ago when NASL oh, was wow. created. With uh, the seven owners, if I'm mistaken, yeah. which Joey Saputo was a part of. Yeah, and, and uh, Bobby Leonard Uzi and the Whitecaps, they yes. broke off too. So Seattle uh, and Timbers and yeah. Yeah, it had to do with the a group of owners within what at that time was the USL A-League. 
um, I think it was still called the A-League then, wanting to to aspire to something bigger than minor league soccer. So they they reached uh, or rose up and created the NASL. And anyway, it created a big war and it's all over now. Basically, it shook itself out with the with the markets that had the ability to get to MLS, went to MLS. And, and now we're in a situation, I think, where basically what NASL fears, I think, is that they're going to be in markets that may never get to MLS but want to have – Ownership groups won't get to MLS under the criteria that MLS is using for expansion, which is basically uh, market size, uh, stadium size, things like that, that they don't completely have control over. But what they do have control over is what they spend on the team and how they run the operation and sort of how smart they are about how they, they operate the team, right? No, exactly. Like The real Hawks are not going to fork $100 million to go to MLS. But if there's another way, they're going to continue to uh, be a good team in ASL. It's uh, that type of bridge that's hard to, to, to cross. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at look at a market like St. Louis to this day. Like the MLS would would love to have St. Louis in it, but they don't have ownership. They don't have a stadium situation that's appropriate for them, so they don't get up there. So it's very difficult because it, it has these situations that go beyond the playing field uh, that prevent these these teams, these franchises, these clubs from moving up. And I think NASL really is is frustrated by that and feels that there should be, you know, in many ways, this this lawsuit might be. Either a trying to, to create a situation where uh, the courts require them to, to declare them Division One, and then maybe MLS absorbs some of these markets in like like a WHL kind of situation back from yeah. the day, or the other thing that they may be trying to force, God help us, is pro rel. Now, look, I, there's going to be people that listen to this that are pro rel, you know, believers. Let's say that way. Yeah. Believers, yeah, it's a good way. Truthers. Yeah, truthers might be insulting a little too much if yeah, they're listening. Sure. But sorry, there are a lot of factors that prevent that from pragmatically happening here. And the fact that you ignore them, the fact that people on that side just ignore those financial factors, discredits that argument and movement. You can't ignore the financial realities of the fact that there are Division Two strong programs that simply would not financially be able to compete at the same level on a marketing level, at a stadium level, at a at a market level. They just can't. And the, in the everyone talks about the romance of pro. They never talk about the reality of rel, right? Yeah, that's true, though. Exa- example, imagine you're an MLS team and you're stuck to spend a year, two, three in a lesser league and you might lose your, your fan support and your sponsorship and all that. And... Uh, in our reality of North American sports, you might even lose the actual franchise. So, no, uh, we saw that happen in England, too. There is some harshness to the relegation part of that idea. Yeah, I mean, look at, you know, and a lot of people say, oh, well, if you're not Wimbledon. willing to compete, it all the things, yeah, well, certainly you, you, you're not sorting yourself out, then you're going to find your level, blah, blah, blah. But that's entirely the case. You could have incompetent ownership, too. <laughs> you have them like Patron. I'm looking at TFC. I'm looking at TFC straight in the face. TFC would have been relegated years ago. It would have been defaulted. It would have been dead by now with relegation. Like, it'd be gone. And is that any good to anyone? No. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe shut up the rest of you. <laughs> it's not good. It, you, you, TFC is, you know, entertaining, if nothing else. Anyway. All right. Um, that's about all for that. We'll continue to monitor that. In terms of a Canadian reaction, the only thing I can think of is is, is where does the C-League fit into this Division One, Division Two kind of standards? And I think that in Canada, if memory serves, and I have to forgive me, this was a last-minute kind of note that we added to this, so I don't have the exact details, but my memory is that they don't actually qualify into one, two, three. They qualify into pro, semi-pro here, and that makes more sense to me to just qualify leagues as pro or semi-pro and let the sort of market decide whether they're one or two. 
True. That's true. If uh, if a team is more popular in a certain market, it should be considered uh, accordingly. It doesn't matter if... You, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's teams that are bigger. The ex- example, if you're looking at the American Hockey League, there's very popular American Hockey League that are, are almost as popular as the bottom NHL team. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with the Canadian Review. The Canadian Review on the Two Solitudes Soccer Podcast. And welcome back to the Canadian Review. Uh, undefeated weekend on the NASL side. Ottawa with the 1-0 win over San Antonio. 1-1 Edmonton, Minnesota. A couple good results there. As we talked to John earlier for about the Fury, uh, they remain very tight up into that second place there. Looking strong to make that playoff push. Edmonton. A bit further back, but they're kind of treading water a little bit. They're not falling behind, so there is some progress there to talk about. Uh, hopefully, they can continue that. We'd love to see both Canadian teams in that playoffs. Sorry, postseason. Um, <laughs> but uh, we Ottawa's continuing with another win, a huge win there over Santa. Defending champions, too, San Antonio. They, they've really fallen off this year. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Montreal, we talked a lot about the Drogba situation there, but, uh, you know, I guess maybe we'll go this. It was 4-3, and I think we need to underline that it was the Chicago Fire they were playing. Yeah. And, that and is, it was a makeshift back time for Montreal. Yeah, Simone was gone from the for the red card. He'll be gone in another game as uh, well. Two other games. Cabrera was suspended as well with some injuries. So you had four starters that are necessarily not starting in that position usually, except maybe one little five outside of that. There were makeshift center backs and full backs and uh, you could see that in the game yeah you know look at me a bit hypocritical for me here in toronto to say like you know four is great but what about the three because that's exactly how tfc's played all year uh but four four is great what about the three yeah me it's about the second goal though Dwayne. it's about uh one little five's header on that cross in the fact that the goalkeeper on that corner was all on dj drogba it was, he was right in front of Sean Johnson, and Sean Johnson could not look at anything else but Drogba. And he realized too late that the ball has passed him, and one of the five just headed into an empty net. And I think it sums up uh, the feeling of every single Chicago Fire player in that game when Drogba was on the field, which basically the entire game. When he's there, you could see three, if not four, white uh, shirts just looking at Drogba. The attention, and the attention he does get opens up the space for everybody else, which we saw that in Montreal. It's a, I think Devaya was doing the same thing, but not at the beginning because they're not coming into the league with the same reputation. Drogba already scares defenders and midfielders in his first game, and I hope it's a trend that continues in Montreal's sake. Uh, but I think it was really uh, the best way to explain it. It's that second goal by Montreal by one of the five. Just look at the goalkeeper, Sean Johnson, how he's basically hypnotized by Didi Drogba. Yeah, and that reputation matters. Um, as you said, I mean, the fact that he is Drogba, it, it might create a goal or two by itself. Um, it'll be interesting to watch. Like, I think that that's the, the underline there. I, absolutely, Impact fans should be excited by, by the hat trick. Absolutely, they should hesitate to, to declare them, you know, heading to the promised land as well because you, it was the Chicago Fire and, and they're perhaps the worst team in the league. But let, um, I'll just mention the facts because I think that they – they deserve to be mentioned. Oldest player in MLS to ever score a hat trick. First player to score three goals in his first 120 minutes in the league, not even. And those, the second place, uh, player to ever score a hat trick for Montreal Impact and the first ever perfect hat trick in MLS. So uh, those are not too shabby after your first game and a half. All right, and we've 
obviously we'll have lots more to talk about Mr. Drogba as the season uh, goes on. Uh, TFC with a depleted lineup as well. Uh, Michael Bradley was there, but Altidore wasn't. Of course, Javinko he ended up not playing. There was some question before that. Without Javinko, TFC actually they 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 were game. Like they didn't get embarrassed out there. They did lose two one on a late goal by Dempsey. Uh, it was Seattle's front end talent that won the game. Martins had a had a you know scored the first goal, created the second goal. Dempsey scored the second goal, created the first goal. So. You know, there was the top-end talent that won. TFC was missing most of its top-end talent, and that was the difference in the game. I mean, some people might question Konopka whether he should have held on to the ball. He charged out, got his hands on it. I think that you're asking a lot there. He did well to get to the ball, almost made the stop, would have held on for the 1-1 draw if that were the case, and that would have been also a fair result, I would have thought. I think it's interesting to look at Seattle and compare them to, to TFC. They're very similar teams. Both struggle a little bit to keep the ball out of the net. I thought you could say because of Chad Barrett. Uh, well, sure. They both have Chad Barrett at one point. Uh, they both they both struggled to back at times. Uh, they both uh, are teams with very high end top talent that can win any game based on their top end talent. But they both have serious flaws at, as well, which can lose them any game. So it's kind of was an interesting battle there. Um, the two one loss for TFC is not the end of the world, nor is it anything that you should get excited about either. Right? It was just another game, another tick off the schedule. Don't make uh, a playoff, that's for sure. If you're looking at the standings right now, points per game wise, the gap between Montreal and the rest is so big, and it's even bigger when you compare it to Toronto. Uh, one point forty something for Toronto, Montreal at one point twenty five, then it goes to one point zero seven for Philly, and the rest of the team is in the bottom. So the gap, I think it's. You mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but I think now it's fairly uh, easy to say that Toronto is going to make the playoffs. Yeah, their their magic number dropped too. Yeah, it, it, it's even though they lost, they still got closer to a playoff spot. I believe everybody else lost or or drawed, so they didn't get any points either. Yeah, the, the magic number is thirteen now. It was fifteen heading into the weekend. It's thirteen now. So basically, that means you look at that a rule of thumb is that you have to get half of those points. So TFC to absolutely clinch one hundred percent needs about seven more points, seven and a half more points. You can't get a half point, so we'll say seven. And they um, have about seven games remaining, and their points per game is way above that. So I think it's in the back. And they have Chicago, and they have Philadelphia, and they have New <laughs> York exactly. City FC, and they, there's yeah, the schedule is in their favor. Uh, put it this way: if they if they could, they would almost need to not get an, another point the rest of the year. Uh, there are some people listening to this podcast that will say that sounds like something TFC would do, even if they do that. They might make it, yeah. <laughs> they, they might still make it. So, uh, by the way, same for Montreal. I said it on the last edition of uh, After What Works, the post-game edition that came out last Saturday, well, Sunday morning. I, I said the exact same thing. Montreal's the exact same position. Uh, the numbers are not as high, but the conclusion is the same. Uh, mathematically, it's going to be very hard for those two teams to not make the playoffs. All right. Last reminder, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up now. John was, uh, you know, good good information, but it went a little longer than we usually have in an interview. So we're gonna wrap now on that Vancouver to buy. In case you didn't pick that up, uh, if you do happen to listen to this in the next little bit, the, there are viewing parties all over the country. Go to the Voyagers page to watch that. Canada v Belize. Kevin and I will talk about whether we'll wrap that game up. We do have an interview scheduled for tomorrow already, so maybe we'll just do a quick podcast around that and uh, get you a review of the game. Uh, otherwise, allez les rouges. And Kevin, say goodbye. Absolutely. Stay tuned tomorrow on the show. A little teaser. Maybe a Canadian rock star legend. Yes. On the show tomorrow. Two Saltons Podcast Special Edition. Post Game versus Belize. And until then, Ali LaRouge and have a great soccer.